I'm Joseph Lamena, Managing Director of AdvisorAnalyst.com. Our special guests on this episode are Richard Heft and Andrew Broadhead of EXT Marketing. Richard Heft is the co-founder and president of EXT Marketing, and Andrew Broadhead is EXT's head of content. They are also co-authors of the new bestseller, The Ascendant Advisor. This is the Insight is Capital podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of AdvisorAnalyst.com or of our guests. This broadcast is meant to be for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed in this broadcast is intended to be considered as advice. Richard, Andrew, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank Thank you for inviting us, Joseph. Oh, you're welcome. To kick things off, describe the arcs of your careers, where you started, how you ended up here, and what, what are you up to? Well, for anybody who doesn't know me, uh, they should know that my hair actually is quite a bit thicker than it looks uh, on camera right now. I, I'm seeing quite a distinct <laughs> glare off, up there. Um, you know, I've been in the financial services sector for, you know, roughly 155 or so years. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I started uh, early days of the mutual fund uh, industry when it was really uh, blossoming into, you know, basically every advisor selling mutual funds, every bank wanting to get in on them. Uh, you know, I helped launch the first um, index-based uh, mutual fund uh, when I was at TD Asset Management. That's where I started in marketing, uh, you know, worked at uh, Scotia Capital, worked at Franklin Templeton, worked at uh, John Hancock in the Retirement uh, Plan Services Division. And, uh, you know, throughout, uh, you know, I have I've I've really benefited. The industry has been just an exceptional place for my career, um, and I've learned a tremendous amount about you know not just investments, but you know the marketing function and the importance of the marketing function in in you know asset managers businesses and and how they help build an advisor's book, or how marketing helps build an advisor's book, and uh, you know this is you know this is the impetus for for uh, the ascendant advisor is just. You know, Andrew and I recognized uh, that that advisors, um, you know, their businesses changed over the years, and mm-hmm. you know, there, there's, you know, a lot of them don't know all that much about marketing. It wasn't part of their core sort of, you know, training, and and we wanted to sort of help fill that gap. Excellent, excellent. How about yourself, uh, Andrew? So I started in financial services around 2004 at AIM Trimark. Okay. It's in Vesco, Canada now. And I started in, in the mailroom. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, opening letters during RSP season. I think the name of the forms were T2033s. That's right. And I had, yeah. I had no idea what they were. Um, and then I moved into office services. You know, I, I have a philosophy degree, so I didn't have too many job prospects. Yeah. So I started as a temp and uh, they ended up hiring me full time. And then as I got to know people, I realized that there's a marketing department at these companies. And I've always liked, enjoyed writing. And I realized that that could be a route for me to be a writer and actually get paid at the same time, which is an added benefit. Um, and so I ended up in client services during a, a pretty tough time in the industry. So I'm still suffering a bit of PTSD when the phone rings, even though it's been 14 years or 15 years, I can still picture the person <laughs> screaming at me on the other end of the phone saying, why are my funds underperforming? <laughs> and then uh, after a couple of years doing that, I ended up in the marketing department, you know, as a junior writer. And over the years, I worked up as become a more senior writer. And uh, <laughs> when I was in uh, that marketing department, I met my wife, my future wife, okay, uh, Rebecca. And so after kind of secretly dating for a year, we quit and went to South America <laughs> for a while. And then when I came back, I, uh, my old boss introduced me to Richard. And uh, it was a pretty funny phone call that I don't think I'm going to forget. I called him and I said, do you have any work for me? Can I do some temp work? And uh, he said, no, no, this is an awful job. It's very stressful. You don't want to work here. And then I was like a two minute phone call. And then he called me back five minutes later and offered me a job. Oh, excellent. So, <laughs> years That's later, true. here we are. You know, wow. and yeah. it was been, I really do like, I've been a very lucky, lucky person. The team that I worked with at Invesco was incredible. And then being a part of 
EXT for the past 10 years is, uh, it's been really, really uh, enlightening for me. You know, yeah. Rich underplays what he and Jillian have achieved at EXT, but, you know, it was I was there from an early time and just seeing us grow from a com- company of four people to, I think it's 25 plus now. Wow. It's been uh, quite quite a 10 year. Well, yeah, Jillian, Jillian and I are notoriously humble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew, you brought you brought back some old uh, terminology, T2033s. My God, yeah. that, that was the day when you used to hustle, <laughs> running down yeah. the hallway. Yeah, so I, I remember those days like yesterday. It was a uh, thing, but yeah, thanks for bringing that up, haunting me. <laughs> we came yeah. a long way. We've come a long way since then. So, guys, um, first off, I wanted to say congratulations. The Ascendant Advisor is a well-thought-out, comprehensive marketing roadmap for advisors to grow into, or rather to ascend into. Um, What motivated you guys to write The Ascendant Advisor? Basically, over my career, especially since the founding of uh, EXT, um, you know, probably over 200 advisors have come to me at at different points and said, I want to start a blog. and. Mm You know, we always uh, have these conversations like, you know, how much time are you willing to commit to this blog? How how many ideas do you have for this blog? How much money, if you you know, if you're not willing to put the time in yourself, how much money are you willing to spend to get somebody else to write your blog for you? Um, and and so I was thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe I'll write a white paper on you know writing content or creating content um, because. Uh, you know, the advisor business, and we talk a lot about this in the book, the advisor's business has has really evolved over the years. You know, um, sitting across the table with clients doesn't happen anymore. That's not that's not part of their practices, as we all know. We started writing the book actually before COVID. But, you know, and, and I was thinking, well, technology and fee compression and product proliferation and regulatory change, all these things have really combined to make the advisor's business more challenging, the discussions completely different than maybe they were 10 years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when a lot of these advisors got into the business. So I said, you know, maybe, maybe we can start giving them some tips on, um, you know, how do you start a blog? What does an editorial calendar look like? What type of content would you write? How would you engage your team to help you? All of these kinds of tips and you know, I, I started writing and, it, you know, I had one p- chapter that was about 50 pages. And I'm like, OK, I'll move on to the next chapter. And it was like <laughs> two pages. So I said, OK, this isn't firstly, it's too big for a white paper. And secondly, I clearly have no idea how to write a book. So okay. I, I, you know, and I thought, you know, Andrew is a guy who, you know, we've worked together for, you know, he says 10 years. And I, I'm pretty sure it's more than that because yeah. uh, he was he was one of our first hires. Um, and we have a, a similar sort of uh, sense of humor, sensibility. And he, you know, he's a senior communicator almost as I am. Uh, so so I thought, you know, maybe I'll ask him to sort of help me build out some of these ideas that I'm clearly not getting to myself. And so bringing Andrew in, he really sort of helped flush out a lot of the ideas that I was, you know, that, that I didn't have and brought, you know, a tremendous amount to the table beyond yeah how I expected the book to sort of be, um, you know, and, and at the end of the day, just the, the collaboration went, went really, really well. And, you know, super proud of the book, super excited to have it out there. And we see this as the beginning, you know, we want to help advisors build, um, stronger practices uh, in light of the pandemic and all these other challenges that I mentioned earlier, like, you know, dealing with technology, you know, how do you talk about that? What, what, what are you telling your clients when you're, exactly. and what are clients asking you that you're responding to? So we felt that we could help them build stronger businesses because at the end of the day, they're all business people. Yeah. Um, and as a business person, their goal should be to build the strongest possible business, uh, one that they can either maybe sell or they can pass on to another generation. Um, and if they're losing assets, if assets are going out the door to a robo, um, we want them, you know, their, their, their business ultimately is not going to be as valuable um, as if they continue to build it by engaging family members, right? You know, we all hear about the intergenerational wealth transfer and the trillions of dollars. And we've done a lot of work in that space for our clients. Uh, but the fact is, like, you know, we also wanted to give them tips on, okay, instead of just talking to your client's kids, why don't you talk to their spouse? 
right? Because yeah. their spouse is probably going to inherit those assets, um, you know, possibly decades before the kids, right? Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. You, you, you have to think about all these strategies. And, and this was, these are ideas that sort of Andrew really helped, you know, fulminate because it was, you know, without that, I was just going to say, okay, here's, here's how you write a white paper. And then yeah. it became this thing, like, how do you build a stronger practice and business and add that much more value for your clients and, you know, talk about that value. Yeah, absolutely. When Rich asked me, I didn't, um, I didn't think too long about it. You know, worst case scenario is we were just going to refine how we talk about these, all these different content marketing ideas and how we could, you know, offer just a little bit more focused ideas and answers to people's questions. Best case scenario is we helped a lot of people grow the business. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we were writing it, we put a lot of thought into the style of the book and how we wanted it to just progress. You know, we're, neither of us are big fans of those books that are one chapter is kind of one long story. You're halfway through the story and you're wondering, why am I reading this? What, yeah. What's the lesson here? We wanted you to just flip through any page and you're going to find a tip that's probably going to be pretty helpful. And um, I think we pulled it off. You know, the book's broken up into sections on yep. social websites, writing tips, um, and then also some of the challenges advisors face, how to get your message out. And I think it would be, it works. You know, an advisor can just flip open the page, find something they like, maybe go backwards to the beginning of the chapter, read the whole chapter. Then start from the beginning. You know, you can approach yeah. it a million different ways. And it's just, it's loaded with very practical tips. You know, nothing in there that Rich and I have speculated about. Everything yeah. in there has been tested. So that's why we're pretty <laughs> confident that it's going to be a helpful yeah. book because yeah. we, we know that advisors and financial firms have used these ideas yeah. to reach their clients and talk yeah. to And these methods, yeah. And, and you touch on a good point. It, it is a great book. I, know, I have to admit to that. And, uh, you know, Richard, you mentioned collaboration. And, and collaboration is, uh, you know, if you don't have that collaboration, you know, uh, I, I can see it. I can see that there's a collaboration between the two of you. And, uh, and for what I'm getting at is that, you know, Collaboration is very important, and Pierre and I have the same thing. And we've been yeah. together for for a number of years. Uh, I've known Pierre for oh, geez, we're going. I don't. I don't want to. It's just going to give my age off. But anyways, we. I've known him for over twenty <laughs> years. But uh, collaboration right. is important, and uh, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, we've been we managed to put this uh, this little thing we have called advisor analyst together. So I, I get it, and I think it's a great a great uh, great reason to write the book together. Um, at the beginning of your book, you cite six new challenges facing advisors. Right. I, th- I think it would be helpful to talk about these six challenges. If you, if you can elaborate, um, you, know, you know, deep dive. Like, I think uh, it would be really important uh, for our audience to get a good understanding of what those six challenges are. Yeah, and I, I alluded to some of them earlier, and I'm referring to the book. Yep. I just want to make yep. sure we cover yep. all of them. Yep. This is a bit of a skill-testing question. So, you know, product proliferation, you know, we do talk a lot like, you know, we help the manufacturers put messaging uh, around a lot of their new products. So we were and, – and we have an office in, in uh, the U.S., so yep. we're lucky enough that we have a vantage that sometimes uh, regulatory change will make products available down there before they're available, say, in Canada. So, you know, like with liquid alternatives, we were working in that space in the U.S. <clears throat> about two years before they, you know, the regulatory change allowed them to become more readily available to a retail uh, investor in Canada. Um, you know, and, and I was thinking, you know, thematically, you know, you have more ESG type products, especially now during COVID, yep. they become, you know, certainly more popular uh, for more investors and advisors to sell, yes. um, you know, and, but, you know, in a lot of cases a lot of advisors who got into the business 25 years ago, um, you know, may not have spoken to a lot of these these types of products. So, you know, they have clients coming in and asking them for details. And a lot of the time, the manufacturers may not have you know, given that provided or their dealership hasn't given them, um, you know, enough information to speak, you know, in a very educated fashion. So that was sort of the first, you know, when, when, when I broke into the business, it was basically mutual funds, you know, yes. and then it became ETFs and it became active ETFs, smart beta ETFs, yes. uh, you know, like I said, liquid alternatives and sort of all these different types of products and thematic type 
um, you know, products. Yeah. Um, you know, to us, it was, you know, I, I, I think about the advisor going, you know, a client coming in and asking them about some of these products and them going, you know, I have no, you know, tools to speak about this. Um, so that was a big, you know, that's a big challenge and, and sort of a, a bit of an evolution of the client's business and the book and, you know, the product shelf that they may be speaking to. Um, the other challenge uh, was is technology. Right. Yes. Um, you know, th- these products, you know, online platforms and these type, do it yourself type of, 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 of platforms, uh, you know, they they've changed the nature of the client conversation because, you know, in the past, a client would go to their, um, you know, uh, advisor and just say, can you can you put me in this fund or put me in this stock or, you know, whatever it was, depending on whether they were MFDA or IROC. Yeah. Um, you know, these days, it's you know. These people can do a lot of that kind of stuff themselves, and then they start questioning the fees. And, and you know, we want to help the, the advisor sort of steer the conversation, you know, away from fees and, and more about the, their value. And a lot of that came, came about uh, with the regulatory change, which is challenge number three, coincidentally, <laughs> where things like CRM2, which launched over a multi-year, um, you know, had a multi-year rollout, um, you know, Change, you know, all of a sudden the, the client statements were, were different um, and, and you know, the client was seeing the actual dollar value they're pay, paying their advisor and, you know, raises all these questions. Well, what, what are you doing during, you know, in the intervals between that semi-annual or annual meeting? Yep. Um, and we also wanted to help arm the advisor with sort of those answers. What are what is their value? Things that they don't think about. And we did a ton of work around this, you know, extension marketing, you know, during the rollout of CRM2. Like, how do you talk about your value and your value proposition and what you're bringing to the table? All these things advisors previously maybe didn't have to think about quite as much, right? Absolutely. Sorry, Andrew, did you did you want to break in? I saw him smiling. He was about to look yeah. like he wanted to say something. <laughs> that was a point or two ago. But they... they yeah. um, yeah, Richard's <laughs> Richard's um, summarizing it perfectly. I don't really want to interrupt, but um, oh, they, so I will say that the um, when it comes to the just the, going back to that technology piece, you know, advisors before were just competing with one another, but now yeah. they're also competing against a suite of digital tools. Yeah, and it's important that they you know have to frame who they are and what they do, not just against other human advisors, but. <laughs> lots of technology solutions being provided by other financial companies, uh, people that are breaking into the financial world from the tech industry mm-hmm. who are coming at it from a completely different perspective. Um, it's not an easy task, but we're hoping that, you know, the things we outline in this book can really um, help them refine that message. Um, sorry to cut you off there, Rich. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I, I wanted I, to make sure that we, I, we highlighted that one. Yeah. And, and again, they, they sort of tie one into the other, like challenge number four is really that there's a there's a widespread perception. And this is being fed by a lot of the low fee sort of um, providers out there that advisors just make a lot of money um, and don't add you know, a ton of value in the in their clients day to day lives. Um, and, you know, this is something that, again, is being fed in commercials and and, uh, you know, through a lot of the sort of more low cost sort of uh, product managers, um, you know, and, and and we really, again, and, and the good thing about the rollout of CRM2 and the regulatory yeah. change was that it really forced a lot of advisors to say, look, I'm more than just that annual meeting. There's, there, I'm adding so much, you know, whether it's portfolio monitoring, um, whether it's, it's um, you know, continuing education, all of these types of things, you know, an advisor may not have thought about sort of their ongoing education and portfolio management, portfolio, uh, ba- uh, you know, monitoring, rebalancing, all of these things. They, you know, they may not talk about that that actively because, you know, they think, well, the client probably knows it already and won't assign that much value to it. But there is a big value to it. So we, you know, this was another challenge that we sort of talked a lot about in the book, um, as well as, you know, the sort of somewhat opaque nature of what the what, what the financial advisor is and what they do. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different names: financial advisor, investment advisor, mutual fund salesperson. Yes. You know, all these things, and you know the 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 industry and the regulators, um, you know, there's it's been a bit loose on how those terms are used. And so I think, you know, you talk about, a, you know, the client confusion. I think a lot of advisors are probably confused about sort of how these, you know, these different titles are thrown around and what they mean and the value they add and the work they do for their clients. Um, so that's become a bit of a challenge as well, because uh, an advisor doesn't know if somebody, you know, goes online and Googles, 
mutual fund salesperson if their name is going to pop up and if that really reflects sort of the work they do. And the yep. final challenge uh, was that, um, you know, frankly, as part of the product proliferation and the thematic type things like investors today um, are, are aligning, you know, maybe their portfolios a little more closely with their values and not just their values, maybe their spouse's values, maybe the values of the people who will in, in, inevitably inherit a lot of those assets. So we, you know, all, you know, th- this was sort of another challenge in terms of how do you talk about products that you may not be that used to, that you may need to have a better knowledge of. And again, speaks to that value of the, the education and how they continue to learn and, 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 and incorporate different elements into clients' portfolios to meet their short and long-term financial needs or risk tolerances and all those things that they, you know, they, they, would normally like refer to a know your client sort of form to figure mm-hmm. out. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. Uh, and thank you for covering that. One of the very interesting, very interesting uh, points you make in part two is that while the in, the industry has regulations and many different requirements to ensure that advisors know their clients, um, yeah. there seem to be a lack of effort on the part of many advisors to make themselves known to their clients and more importantly, to their potential public. The chapter I'm referring to is Know Your Advisor. I love this part. Everybody Googles everybody. So how disappointing is it when a referral Googles their prospective advisor and is unable to find out anything more about them other than their basic profile and contact info? Well, I can imagine it would be pretty disappointing they um, <laughs> you know and just going back to something that rich <laughs> mentioned before is that you know if you're not telling this story yourself somebody else is going to tell it yes. and in, he referred to a lot of um, more techie oriented businesses slamming advisors make not putting what all the hard work they do in the best light and what's interesting is that in today's world in the current situation Advisors, in a sense, they do really do have the upper hand. They've got the email lists. They have the client phone numbers. They can call people up and tell them. And they're pretty much strapped for time. So you can't do it as much as you want to. And that's mm-hmm. where a lot of what we talk to in the book really comes in handy. And it's using something like LinkedIn to get your message out. Um, and not always just talking about business. Like There's plenty of opportunities for advisors to talk about what they do. I think you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find a group of people that are more engaged in the community. The advisors I've met over the years, it's just a laundry list of them being involved in the community. And not everybody knows that, but you know, each one of those is an opportunity to, it's not bragging. It's just you telling your network, your clients, your prospects, how you care. They want to know. Um, that also ties into this idea of investors being able to invest in things they care about. You know, generally people care about their community and they want to know that the people they're working with care as well. Um, and how you pull that off, there's many different ways. It's about getting your website in order, um, about getting SEO right. We just introduce SEO because, you know, we wanted to make sure that this book really is for people who are getting started or who are started and want to move up a little bit. There's not too much in this book that's overly technical. It's probably nothing is overly technical. Yeah. Um, um, it's also about refining your message, um, just making sure you know who you are and that you're talking to the right people. Um, Rich, you want to add in any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, th- th- oh. thank you. And yeah, I mean, that was that was a big one for us in terms of, you know, advisors, you know, build their practices and, and are very proud at how much they know about their clients. Uh, and it's, it's, it's super important for them to have a good understanding of their, like I said, their clients' needs, uh, expectations, uh, risk tolerances, all the family members, uh, you know, all of those types of things. Um, but what's never spoken or rarely spoken about is sort of 
how much do the clients know about the advisor? And and like Andrew said, you know, in the absence of you crafting that story, um, whether it's online, in person, whatever it is, uh, you're leaving other people to craft that story for you. And and that's a, a kind of a bit of a dangerous thing because it could be competitors saying, well, he or she doesn't do that for you, but I will. And I have all these, you know, tools at my disposal to help you meet your financial needs and goals and aspirations. Um, whereas a lot of that, you know, and, and so, you know, you have to counter these falsehoods uh, or these misperceptions by creating a narrative for yourself. And that is, to me, the, almost the crux of the whole content story. Why are you creating content? You know, you're creating it to educate your clients, to engage your client, clients, uh, to, um, you know, really, you know, have, you know, have clients understand what they need to know. Uh, but, but most of all, um, they need to know that you are that person who can help them with these things, can help them learn, can help them grow their portfolios, can help them get their kids into university and, and help fund that, you know, university college, whatever it is experience. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, you need to be the one to craft that story. And, and not just be all things to all people, maybe narrow your areas of expertise to, to places where, you know, you do the best work, frankly. Yeah. Like if you like and we sort of use the example of, you know, you're the uh, I think the education expert. So when your kids when your clients have kids, um, you're the one helping them plan for that kid's future and maybe Absolutely. engaging the kids sort of as part of the intergenerational wealth uh, transfer component of your of building your business and, you know, ensuring that the business continues to have value because the kids have met you. you they've been part of this planning. Um, so so it all feeds well into it, it, you know, into itself. And it starts with great content. Yeah. And one of the uh, one of the um, content ideas related to this area that we talk about is sharing ideas about the courses you've taken mm -hmm. and it seems very simple but again you know just like people, advisors are involved in charities i'm not sure you could find another group of people that take more continuing education courses than financial advisors um insurance advisors as well and there are so many topics that you could share with your clients things interesting facts you've learned just letting them know that you're rounding out your skill set, uh, offering new services potentially. And, you know, for an advisor struggling with content, there yeah. is a, it's a goldmine if you talk about the facts and interesting ideas you've learned in your course. This is good stuff. I'm talking, it really is interesting. Um, how exciting would it be to find out your prospective <laughs> advisor has presence and personality? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, every you know, that's an interesting question. <laughs> you know, I I think that frankly, I think presence and personality um is kind of trumped by sort of knowledge and experience and mm -hmm. the ability to translate big financial topics into bite-sized um, you know, blog articles. Uh, that can be shared with their clients in a in a drip sort of campaign, so that the client is constantly seeing that the advisor has this knowledge, is sharing this knowledge, is helping them build this knowledge. Um, you know, your presence and personality is great. I mean, look, yeah. there's a sales component to the to the job, um, so obviously it's going to help them you know, build relationships if they're super charming and have you know a great sense of humor like me. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, to, to me, it's, it's, it's great, but you know, the content has to back it up and the, and the ability to connect with clients and help clients, um, help clients, you know, enhance their lives is, is, is really, is really important too. Good. Yeah. We think, uh, I think one of the things we highlighted in this book is just this ability to be a teacher and an educator and a guide. So, you know, to, to Richard's point, you know, big personalities, you know, it's sales, it matters. But mm -hmm. there has to be, especially if you're building a book for the long term, you know, something that can handle the death of the client and those assets staying with you, you're going to have to have a much different um, personality besides just being, you know, big. It'll, it has to be a little bit more refined or the opposite of refined. There has to be more sides to you than just big and bold, I think, if you're going to really think about yeah. having yeah. a book that is multi-generational. I, I would agree with you on that. Um, 
without a doubt, I think every single advisor needs to read your book. So without giving away the keys to the kingdom, um, let's talk about some of the ways advisors can develop different kinds of content uh, and communications. Yeah, you know, in the book, we talk about the different strategies for developing content. And again, it goes back to sort of that initial, you know, comment Mm -hmm. I made where it's like, you know, advisor comes to, you know, me and says, I want to start a blog. And, And, you know, generally speaking, it's, you know, I always say you can talk about product, your product and your services, and that'll get you a very small part of the way there because it, that's not engagement. You know, if, if, if really all you're talking about is I sell this fund or I can sell these ETFs, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's interesting to a point, but, but is it really enhancing or engaging, um, you know, a client? Um, whereas if you're giving them new information and, you know, we've done, you know, we've had advisors do blog articles about, you know, planting spring bulbs, right? Yeah. Like these, you know, these lifestyle things and these, um, you know, tips and trends that they may be seeing to share that kind of stuff. Um, you know, that's way more valuable than talking about an emerging markets fund, right? Um, and it's good. You can, <laughs> you can integrate some of that stuff, but what you really need to do is think about, you know, you know, the tip is, you know, you can't commit to it unless you're going to commit to it for the long term, because a lot of advisors will, you know, do three blogs and go like, I'm not sort of seeing great metrics and my clients aren't engaging. I haven't seen an uptick in sales. And we always sort of say like, you know, uh, you got to give it some time because people start referring back to it. So we say, you know, if you're going to post once a week, post on the same day, roughly the same time. Because then if, if the content is good, clients may go back and revisit, the, uh, you know, say, oh, I wonder what Andrew's writing about this week because uh, right. last week's article was really helpful for me. I had a great discussion with my kid about diversification, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So that, you know, so that's one of those tips where it's like do it at the same time, do it consistently, commit to a long term, put together an editorial calendar. And this is a really big key. And we talk a lot about this in the book where it's like, you know, if you walk into work on a Wednesday and go, I have to write a book about uh, dollar cost averaging, or not book, I, I have to write a blog article about dollar cost averaging, you know, you can you can get writer's block and, and freeze and then have to stare at a blank screen for three hours, and that's a waste of time. Absolutely. Whereas if you have a, a, um, an editorial calendar, you will have already known that Wednesday you're publishing uh, an article on dollar cost averaging. So you may have already started writing it or putting together some thoughts or researching it. It'll help, it'll help you sort of get part of the way there. And then we talk a bit about putting together work back schedules. So, you know, you give, leave, you know, you start writing it and you leave yourself some time to have somebody review it, especially somebody maybe in compliance so that you mm-hmm. know that you're on side and that it's properly, you know, it's properly vetted. And then you give yourself some time for the updates. So you have, you know, we talk a lot about the editorial calendar in terms of knowing what you're going to write and then the work back schedule on knowing how you're going to produce that, what, you know, those articles. Um, and then you can, throw in different types of content. We talk, you know, of course we talk a lot about, uh, you know, blog articles or LinkedIn articles because Andrew and I both come from the writing trade, but Mm -hmm. there's nothing stopping you from producing videos, uh, infographic, listicles. And we talk, we go into what listicles actually are in the book. Uh, You know, there's all different types of content to engage your clients. uh, And the important thing is to keep making it valuable and to be consistent with it and to commit to it over a longer term. And if you need to bring in other experts or members of your team to help you write the stuff, there's no reason not to. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, you want to, a big key that we talk about again and again, you know, kind of directly and indirectly is just this idea of extending the life of everything you produce. So if you've written an article, you post it on your website, you share it on LinkedIn once, and then, you know, you clap your hands, you're done, we did a great yeah. job, and then nobody read it. Well, if you've got to do more marketing than that. You've got to find opportunities to use that copy again shared in different mediums, so a newsletter. Um, and when it comes to social, so, you know, when we published this book and we announced it on LinkedIn, an advisor reached out to me. He's an old friend of mine and said, this is a great book. I can't wait for it to show up. And I said, oh, I said, great. Thank you very much for reaching out. Uh, I haven't seen you in ages. It's great to hear from you. And then um, what happened is since we then spoke, LinkedIn finally put his posts into my feed. So there's another interesting little thing about 
to know about LinkedIn. Like the more you use it, the more productive it can become for you. Yes. And then I find I saw a um, he post his newsletter on LinkedIn with one um, comment, and then that was it. And then I was thinking to myself, you know, I got to reach out to him and tell him, you know, you can share this again and again and again. There's no reason to only share it once because you don't want to upset your your network. But yep. there's a good chance nobody saw it in the first place. Yeah. And a different way to share that article. Pick out the stats that you shared in it. Pick out any cool ideas and you can use those as your introductions. It's a way to really ex- expand the lifespan of um, any sort of piece of content you do. Yeah. So that's an interesting uh, little trick for articles. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And Richard, you mentioned... Uh... You know, you mentioned something that uh, that I'm really, you know, I stand behind is consistency. So, you know, posting out a a piece on a certain day of the week every day, or you know, consistency is um, in, important, and, and that's one of the things that we, you know, we we talk with our team as well. Um, that if you're going to be doing this, make sure it's on this particular date, and continue doing that, and and you'll see that the numbers will, you know, you, you'll start getting more views and more followers and, and so forth. So we 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 understand that completely, um, and then I, I just wanted to add to that that uh, it is a a valid point, and and to your point as well, Andrew. So there's so much in this book that um, I have to admit I was overwhelmed by the wealth of knowledge you shared in this book right down to one of the biggest challenging challenges facing advisors today. And that's the question of how do you get your children, your clients' children, their, their heirs on board? How do you engage today's emerging generation? Um, yeah, we, you know, we talk a lot in the book about, um, you know, what, what, where kids are these days and, and how they want to be communicated to. We say basically communicate to them however they want. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my impression and, you know, we've done a bit of work in this space where, you know, my impression is that a lot of the kids today don't want, they don't want people sitting, coming into their space. They don't, they're not going to go into your office. Uh, it, well, after COVID, it, it, my impression is that this is not how they tend to communicate with one another. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's direct message DM, um, yep. there's social um, and, and, you're going to have to, as an advisor, uh, if you're going to connect with the next generation, in in a lot of cases, obviously this is a blanket statement, and and there mm-hmm. may be some kids who really do like that that sort of face to face you know experience. But I think a lot of kids these days spend more time on their phones um, and in front of screens. And if you can communicate with them effectively via those mediums. Um, you know, they'll, they'll understand that you're not sort of just their parents advisor who only knows those old school ways to sort of communicate where it's like sitting across the table, you yep. know, pointing at, pointing at different graphs and tables and figures. Um, but you're willing to connect with them on a sort of level where they, where they tend to congregate. Again, you know, you, you have to understand the etiquette of these different platforms because, um, you know, it's, it's easy to say, yeah, get on to, um, you know, Snapchat and, and, yeah. and snap, I guess that's the term snap, yeah, yeah. you know, with, you know, send photo, <laughs> it, you, you gotta be pretty careful that, that you're, you don't look like a dinosaur communicating through these platforms yeah. as well. Um, so if you're going to use, uh, Instagram, no, the general word count or, or Twitter, which has a character, you yeah. know, a character count, um, get to know these platforms use them properly where possible, um, even DM, because there are ways to show your age on, on all of these different platforms. It's best to avoid sort of, you know, really, you know, stepping into those, uh, you know, those uh, pitfalls that, that, that these platforms can have for older folk like myself who are, who are, you know, trying to communicate with others. But, you know, there are a lot of tips out there. There's lots of ways, uh, you know, again, educational, helpful, understanding, uh, language, um, and, and stay within, you know, stay within word counts. Uh, so if you're, if you're uh, on Facebook, you may be a, have a longer word count. So you can have a longer article than on Twitter where you may just use that for a quick message, uh, for people who are interested in your most recent article to go back to, you know, where it's hosted on, on Facebook or even better your website. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, 
I, I laugh because Richard, and I'll let you uh, get to it, Andrew. But I, I laugh because you know I'm, I feel like I'm a dinosaur around this stuff. I'm not. I'm not going to lie to you, right? So my kids, you know, my kid, he, he's uh, no dad. That's not the way you do it, right? And I'm like, you know, and I'm, and I want to, and you know, I'm just like, I'm I'm not on Twitter every single day, but um, when I am, I'm sitting there trying to write a text or, or a little message to get across to my followers. And I, I guess I'm writing too much and kids look at me and say, no, dad, that's yeah. not the way you do it. It has to be very short and sweet and get to the point. Right. So I'm just going on and on, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's amazing that you learn so much on this, but anyway, sorry, Andrew, go ahead. Just to, to your point too, I think as you get older, at least when it comes to the communication side of things, I think guys like us probably overthink. Yeah. <laughs> what we're about to post and you know, you the kid, younger people aren't, they don't think about it. It's more student conscious. It's more as though they're just documenting their life. Whereas yep. we want our tweets and what we share to be these big insights into life. But it's not necessarily what you have to do in order to be successful on. But, uh, but to, to Richard's point as well, too, you can also in the real world, you could um, like IRL, sorry, <laughs> you could um, ask to have the, kids or the children of your clients be brought into meetings so you can have family meetings talking about financial planning. Um, Also, when it comes to producing content, if you can't reach directly, if you can't reach those kids directly yet, you can share and produce content that is empathetic to their situation to your clients. Mm -hmm. And just directly say, you know, this is a great article for your kids. Uh, It might help them deal with the things they're dealing with, whether it's schooling or, you know, the current housing situation is obviously going to be a very big challenge for different generations and mm-hmm. sharing articles and writing about those issues and showing that you empathize with their situation is a good way to start building that relationship, even if you can't meet the children face to face yet. I, I agree with you on that. Uh, it's it's amazing. They're they're growing up real quickly, and uh, and before you know it, it's it's just gonna go in a heartbeat. But um, just sorry, just and just one yeah. thing, Joseph. I I, I, yeah. and I just like again, no, we, please. we do spend like you know I spent the vast majority of my career talking about again intergenerational wealth transfer and mm-hmm. the trillions of dollars that are going to pass from one generation to the next to next. And yeah. and I, I I do have to say that. A lot less work is put into just encouraging advisors to make it a whole family experience, right? So it isn't just the children. It, you know, as, if you're going to build your, a stronger business, you have got to speak to both spouses, right? Absolutely. Because if you, you know, there's there's a tendency, I think, out there to sort of, you know, because you have this, you're always going to have a strong relationship with one person or the other. Uh, they yes. could be a family member, a friend, uh, you know, the, the the initial contact, the person who may, you know, be more interested and engaged in the financial planning process. And, you know, it's, it's super, super key to sort of in, include both members of the relationship. Um, and I say spouses, but whatever relationship it is, yep. um, you know, because in the that that person both one of those people is going to inherit those assets and Absolutely. one of those people i hate to say it women do tend to live longer than men uh, i don't hate to say it i i, I hate it for myself personally because yeah. <laughs> uh, you know i could hear the clock ticking but you know for me it's it's really about um you know an advisor speaking to the person who is going to inherit that money um, because they, they may be holding on to that money till well past the advisor's retirement. So certainly if they want to maintain the value of their business, it's the kids. It's also both members of the relationship. It is, you know, the, we, we made a point of sort of speaking to that just because, um, again, we want to help advisors build stronger practices, build businesses that will, that will tr- transcend, you know, them. Uh, or not, or or outlive them, and and this is just a really good way to do it is to is to engage the whole family, the kids and spouses, both spouses, all of it. I agree. So, guys, what's been the biggest lesson you you each learned during this extraordinary pandemic year? And I'll, I'll let you guys both answer that. Take your time. Think about it. Um, I know we don't have you know, but. Yeah, I'd like to like to know this. 
I don't, I'll start, you know, I don't know if it's as much as a lesson, but the thing that I've been most, um, the thing that's meant the most to me has actually been able to spend more time with my family. Uh, I've got a four-year-old daughter and being able to spend significantly more time with her than I would have had I been um, just Uh, living life regularly mm -hmm. really has been the most meaningful like year of my life. It's, you know, been a tough year, obviously, for a number of reasons. But when it comes to the family, it's been very, very good for me. So I guess my lesson would be that when things start returning to normal, I'm going to make sure that I spend all that extra time with my daughter. No, I agree with you. And I've learned that it is possible to spend $8,000 a month on streaming services. <laughs> you know, I have to have every single one of them. I, my my uh, cable bill at this point, cable. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about sounding like a dinosaur is like, I think my last one was like $800. So thank you. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to name cable service. It's amazing yeah. how we, we cut the cord to not have 15 different channels. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We got stuck with it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's been an amazing year, I'll tell you that much, and I agree with you. Um, listen, how about you, uh, myself, uh, I'm gonna, you touched on the point. Family time has been fa- – and thank you for the question, Andrew. It's Family time has been really – you know. When I went on a on my own uh, to start advisor analyst was a a big decision. Um, you know, I was front and center. I you know I hit the pavement, got on the go train every single day, went downtown uh, there early, coming home late. And um, when I became you know um, working for myself, um, I was starting to enjoy the benefits, but. I was still grinding and hustling and trying to do what I had to do. But when the pandemic hit, it was, it was just amazing how much quality time I was able to spend with my family. Um, all of us were in this, in, under one roof. Um, we had conversations that we, you know, we probably wouldn't have had before because we we're just so preoccupied and busy. My son has a very busy, um, schedule you know with his uh, athletic uh piece there and obviously he's going off to university so he's he was working extremely hard on his academics and you know my wife doing her uh doing the whole part of it of marketing and and everything else and myself um i'm going to say family i've learned to realize that i tend to eat a lot of nuts um and i didn't realize that i can gain so much weight um, that's the downfall. So I had to sort of stop buying that. Um, and spending more time with, you know, like, like my furry friends here. Um, I have one right, right below my feet here, right at my feet right now. And, um, the hard part for, you know, Andrew, you mentioned that when everything, when this whole thing goes back to normal, I think the hardest, the ones are who are going to suffer the most in my, in our particular case is our, our dogs, right? You know, like we're, we're around them constantly and they were so used to before going to the office coming home and waiting for us by the door now we're constantly home all day long so um i think they're going to have the hardest uh the effect of all of this right when we go back to normal sorry can i change my answer to the, uh, the family thing too uh, yeah. <laughs> what i've come to realize is like i love spending time uh with uh how do you want to Family. <laughs> I know that. I know. I know you, Richard. Family is great. It is, and you know, without <laughs> them, I, I think they're the ones that keep our sanity. But uh, you know, what, and you know, what, you you actually get to learn yourself, and you, you learn your flaws, and uh, it gives you an opportunity to reflect on them and and try to improve on them, and obviously uh, make everyone happy. So everyone has their their own ways of dealing with things, but. Um, it's, it, you know what? I'm grateful. I, all, I, all I can say is that health and family and everyone's uh, healthy, that's all that matters. So um, I, I, I'll tell you one thing. I miss, I miss you know, going out to sit down with my parents. I haven't been able to do that. And once this whole thing dies down, I'll give them both a, a great big hug. So uh, that's what I'm looking forward to as well. Um, 
one of the things uh, I want to ask you guys, and um, I want to, first off, before I say thank you, um, tell us where we can easily find you guys. Um, where, can, you know, um, where can we find the book? So uh, the book is available on Amazon in Canada.ca and in the U.S., Amazon.com. Please, if you pick up the hard copy, do not spend more than $21 on it. The resellers have been jolting the price unnecessarily, but uh, it is available for $21 or less on Amazon. If it isn't, please let us know. Um, You can can reach us. uh, Andrew, will you give the... um, or email addresses. I, I don't know ours Reach Richard at R Heft. So R H E F T at ascendantadvisor.com. And you can reach me at A Broadhead, A B R O A D H E A D at ascendantadvisor.com. And of course, you can reach us out, reach out to us on LinkedIn. Um, just search for Andrew Broadhead, head of content at EXT, and then for Rich, uh, Search for founder of EXT, and or you can also search for the Ascended Advisor. We set up a book page, so we're also going to be sharing insights specific to the book from that page, as well as what Richard and I are up to as we're on this marketing journey that we're doing. Uh, we also put a website together, uh, ascendedadvisor.com, and you can sign up for a newsletter there uh, or just to be on our list. It hasn't gone too live yet but we're going to end up sharing some more insights from the book and then some probably deeper insights being built out from the ideas in the book there as well. So we're all over the place. Uh, Reach out. We're more than willing to talk and chat. It's what we love to do. Excellent. That was the answer I was looking for. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew, that's so much better. I'm like, what's my email again? (laughs) listen guys again i want to say congratulations it is a wonderful book and i think that every advisor should get out there and and pick it up um i want to thank you for your time and it means a lot um thank you thank you again joseph thank you for having us on uh we love the work uh, you're doing at advisor analyst and uh and uh we appreciate uh, you giving us a chance to uh, chat with you today and uh hopefully there's many more of these absolutely thank Thank you you andrew thank you richard